This is the Colonel Rad Alert. Civil defense information will be broadcast at 640. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Y2K. How can we prepare? Stop a few of their machines and radios. Throw them into darkness for a few hours. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Over five years. Thousand gallons of gas. Air filtration. Water filtration. Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is East Central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, and Odyssey. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim, and today is December the 10th, 2023, and this is episode 408 of Workshop Radio. In just a minute, folks, I got a good friend, Andy Higginbotham, coming on. He's one of the few guys that I'll be like, hey, you want to come on, and what would you like to talk about? And uh, we are going to be all over the place tonight. It's going to be great. We, uh, we always have great conversations. I believe this is Andy's third time on the show, so it's going to be good. But give me a minute. We'll get, I just have a couple of housekeeping um, concepts to get out of the way here for you. But the first one, of course, is always, we got to remember our sponsor. It's Sunday night. And that, of course, is Amy Dingman of A Farmer's Kind of Life. Every single month, I get an old-fashioned newsletter in the mail. I know, right? people getting things in the mail, it almost scares you nowadays. But it's something really cool to subscribe to. And I love getting something tangible. It's just like the Patch of the Month Club. So if you're looking for, you know, Amy's particular brand of inspiration, along with some recipes and some how-tos, and just a good old-fashioned newsletter in the mail, check out the Farmers Papers at afarmerskindoflife.com. Two quick workshop announcements. Next Friday night, we are going to have the workshop watch party. This is second annual back with, um, yeah, back due to popular demand. We are going to once again watch the best Christmas movie of all time, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> it will not be on YouTube, so if you want the link to watch it with us, you're going to need to come into the Telegram group. That's as far as I'm going to say tonight for that. And number three, we are doing, I, I love that we have been doing this whole thing long enough that we now have yearly traditions. So New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we are going to be doing the 48-hour workshop talk radio live again. So I'm looking for content from all my fellow content creators. We're going to go a little longer this time, but if you've got something in the half hour to an hour range, that would be great. I'm going to put together a loop. We're just going to, it's going to be the soundtrack to ring in the new year. You know, I call the podcast the soundtrack to getting shit done. Well, this is the soundtrack to ringing in the brand new year. And I'm excited about it. I love it. Last year, we just kind of, people would pop in and out of the live chat and we just I left it in the background to ring in the new year. So if you're into it, number one, come and join us. And number two, share your content. Let me know and we'll get you into it. So with that, give me one minute here. Big Bad Andy, how are you, brother? Howdy, Tim. I'm doing pretty well. Last time I saw you, it was either at the grill cooking meat for us or on the roof putting uh, metal roofing down at uh, Delinquent's Gully. So... It was good. Could yeah, have been at both at the same time. That yeah, would have been a lot yeah. cooler. It would have been cool, but you know what? It was pretty damn cool doing both of them. So, <laughs> yep, we had a fun day at that work day. So how you been, brother? Pretty good. Um, just uh, catching up on things. Uh, we have our little homestead that we do, and I've been doing some remodeling projects and keeping myself busy. Nice, right on. So. 
I reached out to you a few weeks ago there and I said, Hey, Andy, you want to come back on? Because we always have fun discussions. Usually we go down the rabbit hole of, you know, free and open source software and, you know, tech encryption and network security and all that fun stuff. And we'll probably dip our toes into that at some point, but you had a different kind of concept that you, uh, you kind of shared with me at the workday at Delinquent Skelly, and then you kind of came back with some more stuff. So why don't you fill everybody in on what it is you want to talk about? All righty. Um, so I, this kind of almost, uh, well, <laughs> you can take it either as a shill for somebody else's podcast um, or sort of an after action uh, report on a course that I took. Um, there's a podcast called Radical Personal Finance. Are you familiar with that by chance? Absolutely. Um, Okay, so he's, uh, I've listened to him for years and years and years, first heard him on Jack Spierko's podcast, and I've um, been listening for a long time, and I don't know, maybe two years ago or so, he put out a course, because that's, I think, the main way that he makes his money is selling courses, as, in addition to podcasting, and um, he put out a course called uh, International Escape Plan, um, and he talked about uh, internationalization and uh, just how to, you know, if you do you want to leave your home country do you have you ever thought about it basically as kind of the, the starting point of like what uh what have you considered and so I, I took that course and it was really interesting um and kind of started going down that rabbit hole and um we actually went last year uh my wife and i went and had a baby in a different country to do uh depending on which side of the border you're on in the united states that's either called birth tourism or having an anchor baby so uh however you want to put that um, and just kind of got me excited about, and, and since then, you know, since taking active, tangible steps to uh, give my family options in that regard, um, I've noticed that in kind of the prepper space and the the circles that you and I are in, I think there's sometimes a lot of whining about, oh, what if the government does this? And, oh, my government does that. And, you know, these these things that people worry about. Uh, and and what I, you know, the, the mindset that I got from this course that I took and then what was born out in my personal experience was a lot of that is like, you can get around that. Like if, and if you're, you know, dirt poor and you don't have two nickels to rub together, you're kind of stuck. But most of us that have a decent job are able to save a little money. Like if you're really concerned about that, you can, uh, uh, you can do things to, to alleviate that worry. And so uh, the way I, kind of thought of it is like the very basic thing you should do is figure out how can you never be a refugee? Like no matter what, you don't want to be a refugee. So what do you do to uh, ensure that you are not? So that was kind of what I, I uh, mentioned to you when we were together last. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my topic, I guess, is how do you keep from being a refugee? So let's, let's define refugee to start with. Let's, let's start there. And why wouldn't you want to be a refugee? I think it's pretty obvious, but I'd like to hear All right. it. Well, let me let's uh, let me ask you a couple of questions and see what you'd call this person. So let's say you live in Canada. You uh, want to go and visit some other country. So you buy a plane ticket, you pack your bags, um, you fly there, you stay in a nice hotel, you travel around and see the sights. What would we call you usually? I would say I was a tourist at that point. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. OK, so maybe you really like it in that country. Um and so you go back to Canada for a while, you think about it, you decide you want to spend more time there. So you load up a bunch of your stuff, maybe you ship a pallet, whatever. Um, you go there, you get a job, uh, you have a job, you buy a house, all that sort of thing. Now, what would we call you? An immigrant? Yeah. Okay. So how about uh, 
you weren't planning to go to this country and you just go there and you live in a shelter and you're totally dependent on their government to take care of you. Now, what do we call you? A socialist. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, sorry. you're already in Canada. So, uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was really mean. I shouldn't have done <laughs> a refugee. Right. So, when we look at uh, like those three things, right? In all of those cases, you're going to another country, you're spending some short or long amount of time there, and you're you're living there, right? Whether that's sure. for two weeks or the rest of your life. Um, the big difference between a tourist, a immigrant, and a refugee is one intent. So that's kind of almost in your own head. But like legally speaking, functionally speaking, it's documentation, right? Mm -hmm. If you go somewhere as a tourist you are going to go in on a tourist visa or you have visa free access and you have certain rights as a tourist. And, and you know, some of this is money too, right? If you have no money, you're more likely to be a refugee. But sure. if you're a prepper, you've been saving your pennies, you got some silver stashed away, you got, you know, a little cash in your pocket, that sort of thing, then the difference really comes down to your legal rights. And so uh, different countries, depending where you're from and where you're going, there's different uh, rules and laws about how long you can stay in a country, whether you have to get a visa, which is applying for um, special permission. So like, uh, you know, as an American, I can travel to a lot of countries uh, visa free. I just show mm -hmm. up, show them my passport. They put a stamp in it and I can stay there for some period of time, 30 to 90 days usually. Um, and then I have to leave, but I can come right back. Typically, if you need a mm -hmm. visa, you've got to apply for that before you get there and get it granted. Um, and then, you know, with immigration, that's just a step up and there's all sorts of different immigration schemes, right? In the United States, we have green cards and, and work visas and student visas and all these things that let you stay. But at the end of the day, the big difference is if you want to go to another country, whether you are a tourist, an immigrant or a refugee kind of comes down to how good a job did you do at keeping all your paperwork together and proving to that country's government that you have the right to be there. Hmm, I get it. So, I mean, again, you're, you're kind of following a lot of the preparedness mindset anyway, because I mean, I don't think there's a prepper out there worth their salt who wouldn't say, have your documentation in order, back up your important papers, have a bug out plan. Now, this might be to the extreme end of things. This might be, you know, I'm not just leaving Florida because of a hurricane. It might be Hey, I'm leaving the country because civil unrest, you know, I you look at what's been going on in the last, you know, couple of years, Ukrainians, for instance, or, or whomever, you know. So I, I guess the difference would be what having a plan, having documentation, knowing your legal rights, that sort of thing. Yep. And and you're right. It's basically just a uh advanced bug out plan, right? And and I wanna like I should caveat this up front. You live in Canada, I live in the United States, like those are both very large, very stable countries. Um, you know, much as we might not like what our government's doing, we're particularly the U.S. Not we're, we're far from the most oppressive government in the world, right? Sure. And so, if you're an American, especially, um, the odds that it's going to get so—I I don't think it's going to get so terrible in the United States that I flee the country. I'm not really worried about that. But I think you know it could happen. And so, if I can do something to. Uh, alleviate that. And also, I think, thinking positively, you know, kind of like uh, Jack Spierko's thing of living a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Um, it, 
what we've done going abroad. Uh, my son was born in a different country, so he has two, dual citizenship. He has a non-U.S. nationality. That's going to open up, um, potentially open some doors for him in the future where uh, he can do things that he couldn't do if he had just uh, been born in the United States. And, you know, what we chose to do will open some doors for uh, my other children as well. But I think that thinking ahead and, and you know, you're kind of doing that, right? You bought some property in Tennessee. Like you guys, is that 100% bug out plan? Is that 50% retire? You know, that's kind yeah. of a little bit of all of that. And you're killing several birds with one stone. And so I think uh, a lot of us can apply that. And even, you know, what you're doing U.S. to Canada is, is a pretty feasible thing for people to build some bridges across there. Absolutely. And I mean, for us, it's it's all the little steps, you know, it's it's like, um, you know, recently set, setting up an American bank account, having an American post office box, having a physical address. And all of those can be done for. I mean, it depends. I mean, you can buy land in a lot of places relatively cheap if you want you know mm -hmm. it may not be ideal and it may not be exactly what you want but it can be a foot in the door you know and then talking and and being there also uh, spending a little bit of time there gets you uh, you make the relationships and then you get the information you find out oh that's how that works and then all of a sudden somebody says well have you tried this process you know or have you tried this business visa or this work visa and the more you're there the more you get comfortable with it and yeah it's it's um yep everything's baby steps. Yeah. And so, you know, if for some reason, either things got really crazy in Canada, or just you particularly as an individual had some problem that you wanted to not be around for and make it a little bit harder for the government to uh, interact with you, um, sure. you're in a lot better position now to hop in your truck and drive down to Tennessee and, uh, and have that kind of plan B. And then you know, if that doesn't happen and you want a vacation there, you got that option too. Uh, but a lot of it, like you say, is understanding all the little steps and the processes. And that's where I guess my, my big takeaway I would say for people for this is I think it's very worthwhile that you can for probably depending on the size of your family, right? Because every person is going to need documentation. But if you have an average size family, probably for two or $300 um, and some amount of time, you can go out and you can get uh, all your ducks in a row as far as documentation to where even if that, if you just got some documentation and kind of read up a little bit about different countries and what your visa options are. And, and you said, you know, just like you do in planning to bug out, you might say, well, you know, here's two destinations to the north and two destinations to the south and two destinations to the west. And that's my my bug out plan. You probably don't even need that internationally. If you just say, hey, here's a couple countries that interest me that I can get to easily from where I live. Um, you know, if you're, if you're in, uh, Idaho picking, uh, Saudi Arabia is probably a terrible idea, right? Like one, it's maybe not a great place for you to bug out to, but it's also really far away. Like tickets are going to be relatively expensive. Um, Mexico or Canada or, um, Argentina or a lot of other places that are a lot closer to the United States are going to be probably more sensible for you, but you can look through that. Do you have some connection there? Do you know, people that live in that country. Um, and then really the doc, and we can kind of go through some of the, like, what should you do to get documentation all squared away? Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the, the thing that this is actually a pretty cheap and easy thing to put in place. But the thing with all this documentation is it takes time. Um, and so if you say, hey, I need to leave the country tomorrow, 
you're kind of screwed. Like now you're just walking across the border hoping they don't extradite you, right? Whereas like I'm in a position if I like I don't have any legal relationship to Mexico, but because I've done some of this work, like I have everything sitting in a pouch in my safe that if I had to grab that one bag and get in my car and drive to Mexico or Canada, like I would have everything I needed to start the immigration process or the visa process or whatever to be able to be there legally and be just an immigrant or a tourist rather than, you know, showing up in my underwear in the middle of the night as a refugee. I would, in my experience, because, you know, with the daycare and that sort of thing, anytime you can make a civil servant's job easier for them, they're going to make your life easier as well. And I think that's kind of where you're coming from. So where does, and I think we discussed this over a pulled pork sandwich at Delinquent's Gully, but Okay, where does what you did differ from my electronic copies that I may or may not have in an encrypted Google Drive? Because I always thought that was pretty prepared, but yours is a whole nother step up. So as far as where you store it, that's a, um, like that's, I think having digital copies is a good idea. And like say, if you might have that encrypted in a Google Drive somewhere, that's a good way to do it. Um, The big thing is understanding what, what you need as far as documentation. So that's probably similar to what you might already have for just internal stuff. You're going to want your birth certificate. Um, for you Americans, we want a social security card. Do you guys have like a national ID card or something? That, yeah, it's okay. just called social insurance number, almost the okay. same thing. So yeah, your, your social security. Um, you want to have uh, marriage licenses are really important um, for families because you're proving that you know, this birth certificate, particularly, you know, if you have a woman that's changed her name, as is typical in the U.S., right, this birth certificate goes with this person. Um, that's the link that shows, you know, that your children, like, there's a lot of laws. Um, it's a whole lot easier to uh, do stuff for your children when they're minors if you can show that they were born to you and your wife in wedlock, like, you know, all that neat tied up like obviously they're still your children even if that's not the case but if you can just slide across the desk here's their birth certificate here's my birth certificate here's uh the marriage license that shows that you know my wife and i are their parents and that like say that just makes a civil servant's job really easy and they're more likely to uh, help you out so um all those basic things uh if you think you might want to get a job somewhere having uh like a diploma or uh transcript or whatever from any education that you've done if you have like i have a department of labor card as a diesel technician um i keep copy of that right that sort of thing um and then the one thing that i was like totally clueless that this even existed uh that i found out about and was very important was um apostilling which i think i explained that to you but uh it's not something that uh i'd ever heard of but basically, it's from the Geneva Convention, actually. But it's an international agreement that uh, all these countries got together and said, how are we going to, you know, know when people bring things like birth certificates across borders? Like, this doesn't say United States of America. How do we in the U.S. know that it's legit or Canada or whatever your country is? And so apostilling is a process where you take your document and you send it to a government official. Um, in the U.S., it's either your... Um, your uh, state state department or your the national department of state 
and they as i understand it they basically just give you a document that says well we don't know if this is legitimate but the guy that signed it was actually allowed to sign this sort of document we think um it's it's really i think kind of silly as a lot of government things are but that's total like if you go to another country and you want them to recognize any of your legal documents and that would include um you know uh incorporation documents or any sort of business stuff that you've got uh it's going to have to be apostilled and that's a step that it's not that hard like the forget the federal department of state charges a couple bucks i haven't actually had to have anything apostilled by them except a background check um and it's five dollars or something but but most of my documents were done by my state and they charge nothing for things like birth certificates and social security cards and like two dollars for anything else so you know to get my whole family stuff done multiple copies of everything cost me like fifteen dollars including mailing fees right but it takes one to six weeks so of course. minimum if, right and and now like i've got copies of everything and, and same thing like birth certificates um you know i only had one copy of my birth certificate that my parents got when i was a baby uh and it's now a pretty old piece of paper and like kind of nervous about it when i had kids i started getting multiple copies of birth certificates because at least in my state mm. you can just pay like whatever it is i think it's ten dollars that i pay for an extra birth certificate and so to get you know six or eight copies 60 or 80 bucks that's a one-time expense hopefully that covers my children for the rest of their lives i've got multiples um and then you can get some of those apostilled and and then again, another good example of why this is good to do early in Indiana, where I live, uh, if you want a copy of your birth certificate, you can either go to the county, and more importantly, that's the state I was born in. So it doesn't matter if I live there. That's where I would have to get my birth certificates from. Um, you can go to that county, which can be kind of a pain in the neck if you don't live near there, right? You can, um, uh, or you can order it through two online processes. And one of the online processes is for, is, uh, like one or two weeks turnaround and you pay like $40 per copy plus like $20 for them to overnight FedEx it to you. Um, okay. And you pay that for every one. So if you want eight copies of your birth certificate, it's like what, you know, eight times 60 or something. It's hundreds and hundreds of dollars. The other mm -hmm. one is like uh, five or $8 a copy and one shipping fee, which doesn't have to be overnight, but that uh, turnaround on that, can be up to like 10 weeks so right. you know if you're going in you know like well even if you just you know you're kind of thinking ahead and you're a couple months out that might not be enough time and so a lot of that uh stuff if you're just building up copies of documents and getting them up sealed and getting them all uh packaged up then like i say you can do it at least for me where i live and where i was born it was very cheap to do like i doubt i have 200 dollars in all of our family's documents but it took weeks and weeks and weeks of waiting to send it off and wait for it to come back. And, you know, like the birth certificates, you got to get the birth certificates, then you got to mail them to the state department to have a seal. So that can be three or four months lead time. So, yeah, I guess the, it, I kind of rambled a little bit there. Any no, uh, it's okay. specific so, questions? Okay. So a couple of questions that I've got on this because I, maybe I hadn't, so the, to have something apostilled, is that like having a notarized copy done? Yes. So it is. Uh, yeah, it's basically the same concept as getting something notarized. Um, and sometimes you have to get things both notarized and apostilled. But 
a notary uh, thing is, I don't really know what laws govern notarization. I don't um, either. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Like if I, and a lot of this has to do with language, right? Like if you live in Montana and you walk across the border with something uh, notarized by somebody at the Montana state bank and you walk into Canada, like that's probably pretty easy, right? It's all in English. The people in Canada probably speak English. Like it's very, they know more Montana is. It's all cool. If you fly to Buenos Aires and you hand them that same thing from Montana, they're going to be like, uh, could you get this translated into Spanish, please? Um, and it's going to be uh, more confusing. So like I said, I don't really know where notari notarization, like what governs that and how recognizable it is. But the Apostille thing is an international treaty that, you know, basically any country that you would care to go to is going to recognize that. And they all have their own way of doing it, but they, they, you just end up with um, like your original document and then they take another piece of paper and they attach it and they show that they go together somehow. Right. Like the ones I've got from outside the United States for my son, they tape a little, uh, probably like five by 11, very fancy printed piece of paper on the back and it's taped all around the edges maybe with some sort of security tape, maybe not. Um, and it's got, you know, gold seals and everything. Uh, the ones I've got from the state of Indiana, they uh, they have a like eight by 11 sheet of paper and they staple that on top of it, of whatever you're getting apostilled. So there's like a quarter inch overlap and then they stamp so that it goes on both pieces of paper to show that that apostille mm -hmm. document goes with that document. So... And, it's like another step of it, it. It it's like another step to prove that it's a legit document, and right. it's a it's a international standard as well. Yes. Yep. And so okay. and so there's this standard of like what goes on it and who signs it. Because if you just handed me your birth certificate, like I have no idea whether that's a legit. Like I don't know what a Canadian sure. birth certificate looks like. Um, so you wouldn't even have to do a good job photoshopping it because I don't know what it looks like. Whereas if you uh, handed me an apostilled copy like i personally could just plot some of my apostilled stuff and be like okay this yep all have the same you know this is set up in the right way and it's signed by someone who sounds official and it's got a nice gold seal on it it's probably legitimate um but that's kind of your international uh translation basically and they're the apostilles are done in i think uh english spanish and french so now you've got like those like basically any country you go to they're going to like government officials are probably going to be able to speak one of those languages so they can at least see that this actually does have your name on it and that sort of thing okay and then one more thing then so if you got say three apostille you can get three say apostille copies of a document mm -hmm. is that right yeah are all three of those then stapled to the original document or did i misinterpret that no so each individual document you get the apostille for it, just like a notary notarized copy, right? So you would okay. like you get four copies of your birth certificate. You put all four of them in an envelope. You mail them off, and they come back, and now you have four copies, which each have their own apostille oh, okay. attached to it. So the apostille. Sorry, we're going down the weeds here, folks, but I want to <laughs> make sure everybody gets this. So the apostille copy gets attached to a copy of the original document. Uh, to a. So it, it is an original document that like, so you have, so I have a original from the health department birth certificate with yep. a apostille document stapled to it. 
and I can do that as many times as I want. And oh, then all okay. those so are you would original. Need- you would need four, say say you wanted four apostilles, you would need four original birth certificates right. to send away in the mail. Right. Okay. Because they'll only apostille originals. Perfect. Okay. That makes sense. I get you. That's cool. So that's that is taking the documentation back up to a whole nother level. Yeah. It is definitely a big step beyond just, you know, scanning all your stuff and making sure you've got it accessible. But it is like it, having actually gone abroad and done, like I interacted with the government because I had a kid born there um it is pretty neat and i've seen this in the u.s as well like like you say if you can just show up and hand documents to a civil servant like that smooths things so much sorry i see valerie's asking like a standalone original copy so i don't know there's probably a correct term for this but like with legal documents you can get as many copies of originals as you want it, with most of them and something like so my marriage license the way the county that i was married in does it i have a fancy original and then i can get certified copies um, but like birth certificates all the birth certificates i have look identical there is no you know it's not like the number one original and this is the number two and three and four and five it's just an original copy is one that comes from the issuing uh government office and so even if I lost my true original from when I was born, I can get what is considered an original copy by just ordering a new one. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so say your marriage license, you could send an original and a certified copy in and get, yeah. Okay. That's yep. what and I, the, yeah. and so the, whether they're, so like with the, the certified copy is just how they do those, which it looks different from the original one that we actually yeah. signed when we got married. And funny story, the county I got married in, uh, they have the little stamp, like embossing stamp. And when we got married, it was practically worn out, so you can't hardly read it. And in the years since, I've ordered additional copies of our marriage license several times, and they're still using the same worn out one. So I've actually been turned away from, well, I haven't, because my wife is the one that really needs that, because her name changed. But like we've been turned away from the BMV before because they didn't think it was an original because their embossing stamp is so bad. So I got all those apostilled because it makes it look a lot more official. That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So really it's, you know, for a few hundred dollars and a few hours of your time, you could this honestly. So, I mean, for those, you know, the, I, the Jack Spirico bug out plan, you know, he always talks about, um, you know, planning for the three most likely events, having three, routes of egress and three routes to each of those places in, you know, ahead of time and your documentation backed up for, and that's just within state or within country. Mm-hmm. You're just basically taking that, you know, for a few hundred bucks and a few hours of your time, you could develop a much more significant. And for the most part, this is really just a thought experiment. I mean, it could it could go further than that, but also, again, like you said, it's about making your life better, whether shit hits the fan or not. And this could just make your life easier for traveling as well. If you want to take a vacation or go somewhere. Yep. Or even like the, I work for a large company and they have, you know, places all over the world that they have people work. And so they'll do um, I forget the term they use, but they do like if they want you to go abroad, then they like really pave the way for you. Like they'll sell your house and buy you a new house or like 
do the transaction of getting you a house wherever you're going and make it really easy. But I, as an employee of that company, I can just hop on our internal job site and apply for jobs in any country in the world. And I'm just, you know, kind of on my own of figuring out how to get there and all that. But, you know, if for some reason, like I want to go to the UK, company I work for has a ton of jobs in the UK. I could apply for jobs tomorrow and I would like I have all the documentation to show that I am who I say I am. And I don't know if I actually would have the legal right to work in the UK. But assuming that I did, you know, I like I have all the stuff I could package up and mail off to them to prove that I was illegal to work there and it wouldn't be like oh yeah i'll go get that and be back in you know three months sorry we're gonna have the position filled by then so it really is kind of just expanding your horizons of you know what what could you do and if you knock all this out because a lot of it you can do faster but those fees start you know going up 10 times if you're trying to get it done in a week and a half instead of a month and a half just going to shout out to, looks like a new user I haven't seen in here. KR says, hello in doodle tugs. Togs. I don't know. It's good to have you. <laughs> Must be Canadian. Yeah, I think, I don't know. It, it sounds Canadian, you know? So I think, did that kind of cover a bit? Yeah. It, so if people have more questions about this topic, and you know, we're going to jump around a little bit from this point on, but we knew we had a fair bit to talk about, but we didn't want to go so far in the weeds that uh, you could hear people snoring in the background. But I, I love, I'm, you know, Andy knows this and that's I'm a sucker for new concepts and new ideas. And this, I have not heard this mentioned anywhere within the prepper sphere at all. I don't think, have you other than the one podcast? So that uh, radical personal finance guy. And then to be clear, like almost everything I'm saying is uh kind of lifted from his podcasts and a little bit from his course and then you know me putting it into um putting it into practice in my own life but uh yeah that, he's really the only one i know of in the prepper world that uh hits on that stuff i, I love it thank you for sharing that too and i you know i everybody always kind of backs up on their heels a little bit when they're sharing a new idea they're like well it's really not my idea it's so-and-so's idea but really when it comes down to it you know you <laughs> But Aristotle and Plato and all, you know, everybody shares from one another. And we're all teaching an idea that we learn from someone else to someone else. And as long as you're not copying it word for word, I, I love, I mean, yeah, you're a born teacher, Andy. And I always love having you on to talk about this stuff because you have an ability to take these really complicated topics and uh, I don't want to say dumb them down. That sounds really bad, but no, I'm just br bring them down to an accessible level. And I always appreciate that about you. Thanks. And I will say, like, again, like I want to show this guy's class. Um, I just pulled it up. It's international escape plan dot com is okay. the URL he uses. And I'll, I'll send you that. He charges ninety seven dollars for. a. Uh, I don't know where it is on here. It's it's hours long, right? This is not uh, eight hour video course and a 40 page outline of detailed notes. Um, wow. It's over ninety seven dollars. And he go like he covers. I would say like what I'm saying is kind of like, you know, 0.5 and he kind of he has like a four step you know one two three four levels ranging from i want to be prepared for this to um i'm actually like completely moved out and in another country and living there for the rest of my life is step four uh or stage four and and he says like that's not for everybody you know he thinks everybody should do stage one a lot of people should do stage two not very many should do stage three and hardly anybody should do stage four but anyway you know everything i've said is kind of like 0.5 on his stuff and so i just highly recommend his course as a if, if you're like hey this is interesting 
I would be willing to spend a few hundred bucks to kind of get my brain wrapped around this, like that's the place to go. And two things, We're, neither of us are sponsored by him because I, I don't okay. even know the dude's name. What's his name again? Uh, uh, Joshua Sheets. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, I think it's neat. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and it, I just, ooh, I mean, I'm also a listener who's benefited from his content. So that's my only connection. So next topic, bread. All right. Um, so I listened uh, to your podcast from Thursday, I think. I never know what days things drop on. But were you sharing your, was it your grandma's bread recipe? Yeah. Yeah. My uh, gra- grandma, Marguerite Como, she passed away okay. in sometime this year at a hundred. Wow. That's awesome. May we both live to that age 100%. or beyond. Yes. So anyway, I listened to that and um, I just thought I'm going on Tim's podcast. I should talk about this. Um, I'm sure that is super delicious. I have my aunt, Thel- my great aunt Thelma's uh, yeast rolls recipe, which is our like holiday yeast roll and yes that's about what they taste like um but and i looked at your recipe and i'm guessing it's about the same like that's a lot of work to make bread like that every day right like you're you gotta have a certain amount of time in between kneading and you're talking probably 30 minutes of kneading and kneading like you need a big space that you get all flowery so you gotta clean it up like that's not something that the average person is ready to do every single day so they can have fresh bread um but i we my wife and i are both pretty foodie people we also have young children at the moment, so we're pretty busy. Um, but we've really like kind of uh, uh, worked hard to eat things that we like to eat that are really high quality as much as possible. And so not just like we know how to do all these cool things, but we want to be able to integrate in our lives on the daily. And so we actually, when we were abroad, um, we were staying with some friends that we knew that lived in this country and um, kind of connected with their friend group. And several of them were like, how do you guys cook all this stuff? Like we, we'd make, you know, homemade broth and homemade bread and homemade yogurt and all this stuff. I'm like, how are you making this in a foreign country with your little like apartment kitchenette? Yeah. And, uh, and so we did a little class with some of our friends and talked about that. And I had to kind of think about like, you know, what is our approach to this? And I think there's kind of a Pareto principle thing. And I, I've since, since going through this last year in my mind, I've kind of noticed I think there's a lot of people in the homestead world that figure out how to do something really cool, but it they do it in a hard way and they mm-hmm. get, so it's, they're making something excellent, um, but it takes a lot of effort. So they don't have like a super abundance of it. Right. So like the difference between raising quail and raising beef. And obviously that's, you know, kind of based on the land you've got, but if you want to eat meat that you raised every day, like you need a heck of a quail operation to do that. And you're going to be butchering quail like all the time, right? Because you want, you know, I've got uh, six of us in my family. Like we'd probably need 30 quail to make a meal out of. Um, So if we want to do that four or five times a week, like that's an operation, right? Whereas beef, we raise beef and, you know, we go out and we move them every day. Uh, We actually don't have any at the moment. We have sheep, but, you know, a a cat grass-fed beef, you're moving them every day. Um, and then when it's time to process them, you put them in a trailer and take them to somebody. Now with that particular example, like it takes a whole lot more land and, you know, a cow costs a lot more to buy up front than a couple quail and everything. But same thing with bread. Like we have a recipe we use, which I'll, I'll send it. We've got a page we made that's got all of our, all these recipes, but like we use a, um, uh, like mock sourdough recipe with yogurt. And so you just mix, uh, I think it's 
think it's one part yogurt to two parts flour or something like that. It's just a ratio and it's just yogurt, homemade yogurt, flour, um, and uh, yeast and salt. You mix that up if you have a blender or you can do it with a spoon, it takes like 10 or 15 minutes. And then you just let it sit and it rises and you uh, shape it and plop it into the oven. And it makes a fantastic like artisan sourdough style bread. Um, but there's minimal kneading. Um, there's no punching it down and letting it rise back. Like it's just a super simple one. Um, and you get, you know, it's not like a true sourdough, but you're still getting that um, bacterial fermenting going on. Um, and then we actually have another recipe for a completely zero need bread. It's from a book called Five Minutes a Day Bread. And you just mix up a really wet dough and stick it in the refrigerator. And every day you want bread, you just take off a piece, shape it and throw it in the oven. And that's it. Like you don't need it. It legit is like five minutes a day. And so I was just, your your recipe kind of triggered me that, that I think those are great examples of like, it's wonderful to know how to make uh, really great yeast bread. And like, like I said, we make that for family events and stuff, but that's not actually usually a very helpful skill for people daily. Like if you're eating bunny bread on your sandwiches every day and you're like, man, I wish I had time to make grandma's awesome bread, but I don't have three hours a day to spend on this. Like, I, I think it's really a kind of overlooked thing sometimes to look for, well, how can I squeeze this into the time I've got? And even if it's not quite as good, it can still be way better than store-bought. I like it too, because again, it's one of those, we. it's funny. It, it, it It's a theme that comes through all the time, but it's something that makes your life better, whether times are tough or not, because Here's my other thing I'm thinking. Again, thought experiment. But if you are in a bad situation, whether it's financial or you're living in an area where you need to practice your survival skills for a while, five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day for bread and minimal minimal ingredients is a heck of a lot easier to come up with than three to four hours a day and a plethora of ingredients. So I, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan. And for those who don't know the Pareto principle, it's basically, you know, uh, 20, was it 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work or th that principle. You're always trying to find that sweet spot of 20 percent of the work to get 80 percent of the return. Correct. Yep. And I'm yeah, a big that, fan of that. Yeah. Go ahead, and I, I think like a lot of times, like if you read about that in business books and stuff, it seems like usually they sort of focus on, you know, if you're if you're doing 100 things. 20 of them are getting most of your results. And so you should keep spending the same amount of time doing things and just hone in on that 20. So like if you're, you know, if you're a podcaster and you put out five podcasts a week, probably one of those is, you know, performing way, way better than all the others. And you should try to make that one super good. And if the lowest performing one suffers, that's okay. Is kind of how it seems to usually be presented. And I, I mean, that's a very valid way to use that idea. But I'm kind of almost saying it the opposite direction and saying like, hey, and I don't think this is really true for podcasting. But, you know, if you're podcasting five times a week and you're making $100,000 a year by doing that and you truly do have an 80-20 principle going here, then if that was I don't think it's true for podcasting. So, again, this is not a good example. But if it was really exactly that way, you could also say, well, if I can get by an $80,000 a year, I only have to work one day a week. Right. And hardly anybody like. I'm not the only person that's thought that, I think, but I think a lot of times the Pareto principle is sort of this, like, you should do four episodes of the really high-performing one, and then you make $400,000 a year, which, you know, that's a pretty good application, too. But, like, with the bread thing, 
if you can get 80% as good of bread for 20% of the work, well, now you can also make sauerkraut that's 80% as good as the most amazing ferments ever that you're doing in 20% of the work. And for 100% of your kitchen time, now you've got, you know, a ton of very high quality food and it's not the most, you know, gourmet, but it's better than what you're gonna buy at the grocery store. And you can actually afford the time to do it and not be like, well, I wish I could make sauerkraut, but it's such a giant ordeal that, you know, I only do it twice a year and then we run out of it in three weeks and <laughs> I wish about it for six more months. 100%. I, I mean, that is literally, man, I hate that word, but I still use it all the time. That is the concept that I use to build my handyman business. I, you know, be, again, it was, I always looked for that thing that would give me 80% of the money for 20% of the work, but I didn't, you know, for a while I would take more and more of those. But the idea eventually was to get down to, oh, property management. Guess what? That's about 10% of the work for about 80% of the money. Now I freed myself up to do all kinds of other fun things, but not more of property management and knowing right. where that, knowing where that sweet spot is. Some people want to take that 20 and balloon it to a hundred, but other people like you and I, I think really like that 20% that frees us up to do this 20 here, this 20 here to be that modern Renaissance man, you know, the guy who's into everything. And I, I couldn't live any other way. It's man, when, it's freeing once you get to do that. Yep. See, so you get me all worked up. So <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm here for. Ed Celio just said, had a coworker who sold their parents' property in Greece, had to apostille documents. Hardest part was getting everything translated. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, I, we missed this one, or I'm, I didn't bring it up in the moment, but Val said, uh, and I, I'm going to change a word in here because she mistyped and then corrected the next comment, but each state has different notary laws. As a federal notary, I cannot notarize state docs like birth certificates. Interesting. Yeah, so, so I guess there must be state oh yeah, and federal notaries, and you can only do things issued by your, like the federal notary can notarize federal no documents, and an Indiana notary can do any, I, I assume that's what she's saying. And the whole notary thing kind of cracks me up. It's almost like sending, I don't know if anybody out here is into, I've looked into it a bit and I've never done it, but say you got a baseball card that's signed by somebody, you can send it away to... Um, Beckett Authenticators or a few other different companies and they will send it back to you and they'll say, we're pretty sure that's authentic. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the, that's the furthest their neck will go. Right. Right. <laughs> and there's never a guarantee. There's never a, Hey, you know, if it turns out it's fake, we have insurance to cover you. Right. It's just, it looks authentic. So here's our stamp of approval. So Which you can get actually a little surprising. They don't insure that because I feel like that would be such a hard thing to claim on. Like if you said, Hey, we'll give you $15,000 of insurance on this baseball card. If you know, it gets proven to be a fake, like how do, how do baseball cards ever get proven to be a fake? Like it's pretty rare. I'm sure that happens, but what's the odds, right? And I mean, you've got experts and again, it's the same as people looking at those documents. You've got experts who should know what they're looking at, but Again, uh, you know, we just we just did the first three chapters of Atlas Shrugged, and uh, that is a um, a very core principle at the heart of again civil servants is it's not my job, and I won't take responsibility for it. <laughs> you know. Oh, I didn't mean this to be a shit on government employees night, but here we are. So, 
Val says notarizing something is basically saying you can verify the originality of it. So if you aren't the originator originator of the document, you can't notarize it. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Usually you get it notarized when you sign it, right? So they're saying basically I'm a witness who's got this fancy stamp to show that I'm right. an official witness. Yes, yes. But I I've had to take anyway, we'll go down another tangent, but I've had to take documents in to get notarized or from a I think that's what they maybe it's not, maybe that's a different term. But there's a few documents we've had to take in and get, I thought it was notarized, but, uh, you know, it wasn't their originating document. It's just, I don't know. Anyway, I'll have to look into it because lately, especially, we've had a lot of documentation for different businesses yeah. and things need to be. But, and yes, Darkwing Dave says uh, there are companies that grade sealed video games as well. Same thing. They're going to say, to the best of our knowledge, this is a original inbox mario brothers 3 from 1989 but if somebody decided to slice it open and found a box of rocks inside it eh, you know right but then if they sliced it open it'd be worthless anyway so right you're good you know so you so when i reached out to andy he's like well i'd also like to ask you some questions tim so we could and it'll be a bit more of a it's always conversation with you and I anyway, but do you have those in front of you or do you want me to pick a couple of them? Uh, well, was there anything of that that really uh, uh, stuck out to you that you want to talk about? If you've got them all there, I took a few notes on each. We can kind of skim over them. I think people like them. Andy really stretched me a bit. And I think you might even give me the topic for my self-reliance festival presentation out of this. So, you know, nice. I always, I like that. You're a good man. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. So I, this all came up, like my wife and I, we have a homestead um, and we just went on this several months in another country traveling experience. And we've lived in the same area. I mean, we both live 30 minutes from where we grew up or less and have lived there basically our whole lives. We've been in this area. And so, We've been uh, kind of thinking the last six months about doing like uh, what Brian, excuse me, Brian Corey Alexis, the Lots Project, um, what they're doing of getting a camper and kind of traveling the mm. uh, traveling the country, visiting some different areas and seeing like, you know, is this really the place that we want to live? Um, and so I've just been kind of kicking that idea around in my head. And like I listen to a lot of business podcasts and prepping podcasts and read books and things um and uh yeah so that's kind of the background of why i was I'm thinking about this stuff um so my first question is uh how do you tell whether the problem that you're having with something is from not doing that thing not trying hard enough or not doing it well enough or not applying yourself enough or if it comes from picking the wrong thing like whether that's the place that you live or your job or whatever if you say i'm not satisfied with this like, how would you discern between those two causes? I kind of wrote down some smart-ass remarks, and not not in a bad way, but I, because, okay, I, 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 I just, shut up, Tim. Anyway, going back here, I approached all of these questions, almost all of them from an entrepreneurial mindset, because that's kind of where we're at, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is you probably are going to make the wrong choice at first, and that's okay. For anybody who wonders, because if you, when you start a business and I, again, I can only speak from my own experience, but when I started, I figured I was going to be the odd jobs guy. I was going to always be the guy who showed up to pick up dog poop or to, you know, babysit your dogs or clean your gutters or, you know, I, I figured that's what I was going to do. 
And I probably could have beaten pound it and struggled at it and made a living at it through sheer determination eventually if I wanted to. But and this, I think this is kind of where the concept came in. And the idea I just wrote down was failure is not an option. And that's such a cliche thing. But where I come at that from was as long as you're starting and, and the other thing, so you've got Am I not working hard enough or did I pick the wrong thing? And the answer to that could be yes for both of them. And that's okay because you can always be working harder, right? There's, there's never in my life, there's never been something I've done that I couldn't have put more effort into. Uh, maybe the closest thing might've been that one time I went lobster fishing for five days and just about died. That, that would have been probably the only thing. But other than didn't that, die. right. I didn't, I, it was damn, no, I just, I did fall asleep with a spoonful of, um, craft macaroni and cheese in my mouth so there's that but <laughs> but i would say that you can always work harder but you got to build a life too right so you, you got to have little kids or, or you don't have to but in your case you're going to have kids to raise so there's always needing time for the family there's always hey i'd like to read a good book or hey i'd like to go for a run or i'd like to go to a restaurant for a meal well every time you do that sure you could be building your business and I hate that stupid term balance because there's no such thing as balance, but a person could always be working harder and your brain's always going to be telling you, Oh, you know, you could be doing more. So that's okay. You know that you need to find wherever you're comfortable with and do it. Number one. And number two, it's not a binary thing. So, cause people always think, well, I'm going to start building a business and it's going to fall apart. I mean, that is a possibility, but a way more strong possibility, something nine times out of 10 is you're going to start something and give up just before you're successful. And it's all about pivoting. And I guess that's what I was trying to beat around the bush to get to was you're not going to make the wrong choice, but you're not going to end up where you think if you're doing it right, you're not going to be where you think at the end. You know, I mean, if you look at, again, look at the survival podcast, for instance, if you look at the content that Jack covered in 2008 to what he covers today, I wouldn't say it's the opposite dichotomies, but they've changed a hell of a lot because you pivot along the way as you find success or you find the thing that you love, or you find the thing that gives you the 80% return for the 20% value, you focus more on that. And so instead of doing this, it's this, you know, and I know it, it's so hard to really put that into a concise way of thinking, but number one, you're not going to end up where you start and that's okay. But as long as every time you come up against an obstacle, you figure out the best way to get around that for your family, for your finances, and for the success of whatever venture you're doing, you're never going to fail. You might do something wrong or you might make a wrong choice, but as long as you learn from that, you're never going to give up and fail. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool. I was like, man, that, that sounded way better in my head than when it, no, I'm just kidding, but that's a tough one. But uh, yeah. And, and considering I only looked at that one question half an hour before we started, I was like, man, that's a good question. And Rob says the same thing. He says, uh, that's a good question. Thanks for asking Tim. That. <laughs> yeah. And I think just to maybe give my perspective as somebody who's not been as much of a business creator or content creator or some things you've done, it seems to me like there's a little bit of a bias where, especially when you get into like podcasts or books or anything like that. Like if I go find a successful podcaster and I ask him, 
about it. Like he's a successful podcaster, right? And I'm not a successful podcaster. Um, and so like, I think there's a lot with Jack Spierka. Like he's obviously a guy who by nature is like always ready to sure. try a new thing. Right. And I think my nature is a lot more to just like double down on whatever I tried. Like, well, I have this job and I hate it and it sucks and it's miserable and I hardly make any money. But I bet if I tried twice as hard, they'd give me a, you know, 50% raise is kind of like my natural mentality to just grind it out more. Whereas I think Jack, I, I, he's just, you know, somebody you and I both know that I think he's kind of on the extreme other end of that. That's like, screw this. I'm going to go do something else that's better in some direction. And it's, I just feel like sometimes somebody like me needs a little more of a kick in the pants of like, Hey, you can just quit everything you're doing and go do something else. And it might be better, even though you like, I could sit down and tell you how to make everything in my life better if I just tried harder. Um, <laughs> but then I think it's a, like, I've thought in my mind, it's kind of a fair question of like, Hey, well, I haven't tried that hard yet. Maybe I should just do something else. So as has been sort of kicking that around in my head for a while and glad to Two hear your thoughts on it. Come to mind there are number one, my dad always said, a change is as good as a rest. And a lot of times when you're doing the same thing over and over again, you become blind. And the best time to figure out something is during change, right? And then the other one is, if you keep beating a dead horse, all you get is a bigger mess, right? So, and I think back to my time at home hardware. And if I had have spent, you know, if I were still there, okay. So go back to 2010, I was making, I don't know, I'm going to roughly say $13 an hour, I think. It was 13, maybe 13.25. And every year if I said, "Oh, please, sir, could I have some more?" I might get a 15 cent an hour raise. So here we are. If I was still there like Larry was who'd worked there for 35 years, if I was still there to this day, I might be making $16 an hour. You know, if I'd a kept punching that same wooden post every single day, I might've knocked another nickel or two out every year, right? So the best way, and Jack said this too, the best way to get exponential growth is horizontally. You know what I mean? Like trying something new and it's scary as shit. Like, and, but here's the thing, John Willis talks to and he's, he's embraced the burn the bridges and, you know, and I get it. And that's what I've done, even though I haven't told people that. And here's the thing that, I know about you and anybody who wants to be successful is if you did truly burn the bridges or make a huge step, the cool thing is, is you've got a wife and kids depending on you. So you're going to figure it out. You know, it's scary, but I have absolutely zero doubt in my mind that you wouldn't figure out a way to feed your kids, to keep the lights on, to keep them warm. And to, for you to probably have a little bit of fun along the way, because I know for you, again, you're like me. You need to be stimulated, right? Something new all the time. So you're going to figure all that out. But the upside to taking a chance is massive, you know? Yeah. That's and really good. It's, it's not easy. It's scary. Man, it's scary. I got lucky. I married a woman who is not really scared of change or, you know, uh, taking chances. And she was always kicking me in the ass and saying, Tim, just do it. Just quit. We'll figure it out, you know? So I got lucky that way because that's not me, Andy. I'm like you. But now I'm not like that anymore. Like, I'm, I've am i legitimately changed, but it's taken a decade and a half to get there. Cool. Well, that's, yeah, that's encouraging to hear. 
And uh, yeah, I think one of the other questions I had in there that maybe ties into that a little bit is um, like you do have you have five children, right? I do. Yes. Three are adults now and yeah. two are 13. Um, so you're a uh, little bit more um, or a larger family than a lot of people that we uh, uh, are kind of in our circles. Um, any like, is there anything that's kind of a burr under your saddle of things that you hear all the time in the prepping world? Um, and you're like, yeah, like that's not good advice for a 30 year old with four or five kids. I First off, I would say have your kids as young as you possibly can. Uh, I know that man, some people, what are you talking about, Tim? Because, you, you know, anyway, there's this whole TikTok trend right now, dinks or whatever. What is it? Double income, no yeah. kids, whatever. That's fine. That's what you want to do. That's cool. But if you're thinking you want to have kids, I'm telling you, you're going to, you figure, anyway, everybody figures life out as you go along, you know, and they always say that youth is wasted on the young. And there's a bit of truth to that. But I would say, have your kids as young as you possibly can so that you can figure out life and figure out the whole parenting thing at the same time. Because if you do that, you're going to be, you know, kind of like us. I mean, the girls are 13. So at 18, we're not, you know, we're not going to be 50 yet. Right. So we're, I am I like that, you know, we're, we're still young enough to enjoy life and to build the businesses and that sort of thing. So that's the first thing I would say is, and, and I'm not telling anybody, this is not life advice, but I would say what we've learned is have kids as young as you can, because, I wouldn't personally wouldn't want to be the guy that I knew that had five kids under five at the age of 55, you know, wouldn't want to do it. That's tough. And they had triplets. So that's kind of what happened, you know, but anyway, but I would also say that it is, again, you talk about how um, successful people always look back and figure out all the things they did that made them successful. So of course they're going to tell you that path is it is the whole idea of plot armor. You know, people always bitch about a book and they're like, well, this guy in the book survived all these things. Well, of course he did because he's the protagonist, right? I mean, everybody in the world right now is the protagonist of their own story and they've survived all this crazy shit their entire life. Of course they have. If you're dead, then we're not going to probably write a story about you, right? So anyway, that's a lot to say that it is way harder to build something when you have young kids because you, it, and I don't want to, I'm not, anyway, people, who don't have kids, it's hard for them to understand the draw and the time that really young kids take and in the emotional toll too. And this is not, none of this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that if you're going to embrace building something great, just expect it's going to be a hell of a lot more work when the kids are really young, you're going to get even less sleep. Doesn't mean it's not possible. You know, you just have to do what John Willis says and sleep faster, you know? But it's true. Like, I mean, you just have to decide that if you're going to do it, you're going to be stressed. You're going to be tired. You're going to be cranky. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be at wit's end, but you can still do it. I just, it would have been a lot harder for us. I'm, for us, I'm really glad that we had kids at a young age, but if you haven't, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It just means that every year you get older and I'm speaking from experience, everything gets a little bit harder. So start young and figure it out as you go. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. I just, that's one thing that as somebody who has, I have four children. So, you know, a lot of times I listen to a lot of people and they're much further down the path and all their kids have been out of the house for a long, long time, or they don't have hardly any kids or no kids. You know, I'd like to uh, kind of draw that out. Cause I, you've said things like that before, but I always think it's uh, 
it's helpful to me to hear that over and over again. So thanks. Absolutely. Can you still hear me? Yes. Your, your face isn't moving, but my uh, picture I, okay. here, I look like I'm sound asleep. So everybody just keep listening to me. I'm going to turn my camera off and turn it back on, but go ahead and ask the next question, Andy. All right. Um, so, uh, going back to, you mentioned about like, um, you know, trying things and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't and whatever. I've heard a lot of, uh, motivational speakers or entrepreneurs talk about the importance of failing and being rejected. And I just listened to a podcast. I don't even remember what it was yesterday while I was working. And the guy was saying that like, what, uh, like basically the way to become successful is to be able to handle rejection and that people who get paid way more than, you know, he said more than they deserve, but more than more than average, right? That are making uh, way more. It's basically just because they can handle rejection like a hundred times better than average. Um, so I feel like I am again pretty good at being like the cautious person, and so I don't I don't have very many things that I would point to as failures. Like I have lots of things where I can say I could have done better. I mean, like I said, I could have done everything I've ever done. I can see how I could have done better, but there's a lot of like, well. I hope to get this done by February, but something else came up. So I just like, you know, kept the balls in the air and it didn't get done until June, but it got done and it was okay. And uh, I feel like I don't have a lot of things I point back to. I'm like, yep, that was just like a total failure, crashed and burned, picked myself up and moved on. So uh, going from, if you don't agree that failing and being rejected is uh, helpful, you can go on that, that side of it. But assuming that you do like, what do you think are good ways that people can just like get out there and like, I don't want to try to fail, but also I get the idea of, you know, if you're not, if you're not falling down, you're probably not trying to run fast enough kind of idea. I, I, again, I'm going to come from my own experience, but I would say tackling something that's kind of cool is tackling a big project at home, way bigger than you probably have done before. And in that, for some people that could be, something that some people would consider a small project, but I get yourself in over your head, but break it down into small bite-sized pieces and go each time, you know, a little bit more. I, I always use a stupid example of residing the house, but there's lots of things, whether it was building that covered deck out back, you know, it's same thing. I'd never done it before and that's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was like, okay, well, how do, how do I do the uprights? All right. How do I do the carrying beams? How do I cut the joists? How do I hang the metal roofing so that it doesn't blow off in the next big windstorm? Those are good. I would say, too, um, from the business end of things, being good at being rejected it, or getting comfortable with that helps a lot. And that one thing for those who aren't good at being rejected, that does, as you get older, it gets easier because you don't give a shit anymore. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to lose it. But for me, raising my prices helped a lot. The old adage again, and there's a lot of Jack Spirico in tonight's show, but being a little uncomfortable with your price. You know, I've I've always I, I give this example to a lot of people, but if you bid two jobs at a hundred dollars and you get both of them, you make two hundred dollars. If you bid two jobs at two hundred dollars and you get one of them, you've also made two hundred dollars but worked half as hard. But you also got rejected once. So, you know, if 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 you bid two jobs or 10 jobs at a thousand dollars and you get shot down from nine of them and you get the 10th one, well, you're going to get rejected 90% of the time, but that one big job is where your money's going to come in. So the more comfortable you get with reject, getting rejected, absolutely. In business, eventually you build, your skin gets tough enough that you don't care about getting rejected. And then you're 
you almost embrace taking the risks. And this, again, it man, it's taken me, what am I, 42? I'll be 43 in March. And it's taken me that long to get to this point. And I mean, again, we're taking a huge risk setting up this new daycare, but we know it's going to be successful. But there's a lot of bumps in the road along the way. You know, go I, something simple and stupid, but anytime you can, I mean, you're talking about hopping in an RV and traveling the country with your kids. Well, I bet you'd be a little nervous about that. The Even though you're not going to fail, putting yourself in a new situation that makes you nervous, it, it gives you that fear of failure. You know, example, before I went to prepper camp this year, I stopped at a just a, like a little turn-in where, you know, like a public rest area, right? And for whatever reason, my anxiety got the worst of me that day. And I was convinced I was going to fail miserably at prepper camp this time. You know, I just was. And so I all of a sudden introduced the fear, fear of failure again. Was I going to fail? No, I was going to show up and I was going to present. And it might have either been my B game or my A game, but either way, most people wouldn't have known and I would have succeeded. But the fact that I was scared shitless that I was going to fail, or for whatever reason, I introduced that anxiety or the little edge, you know, that helps. Even though it might not be a situation that you're going to fall flat on your face with, if you're stretching and you feel uncomfortable and maybe a little anxious, then you're doing the right thing. You're stretching. You know, it, it's the same as going back to when you're a teenager and you. I remember laying on the coach and my legs hurt, right? Because growth always hurts you know? So yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Do you think there's something to, um, like, I guess it seems like there's a difference between things that are going to be really hard where you feel like you could fail, but it's like, for example, I'm remodeling a house right now. Sure. I thought it was going to be done in like August. And then I thought it was going to be done in September. And now I'm hoping it's going to be done in December. Like, but you know, I was careful when I went into it. Like, I can drag it out for several more months and not, you know, lose my shirt. Like this is almost like I, I could just, you know, call a realtor and put it on the market today and walk away and it'd be a mess, but it wouldn't ruin my life. Um, but like, I have basically insulated myself to where I can't have something catastrophic happen from this. Right. Um, which I think is good. I'm not going to not do that on something that's that kind of money, but I feel like a lot of the example and a lot of stuff you were mentioning is stuff that like, like if you go and build a deck on the back of your house, like true failure is, I mean, I guess you could just quit, but really like the failure mode for that is you do such a bad job that someone in your family dies, right? Like they fall through the deck and they, you know, get severely injured or they die or whatever. And other than that, it's like, well, it took me a year to get this done or it cost me three times as much or whatever. You kind of, you don't not get it as, or like, you know, if you start a business and it goes See? out of business, that is like a genuine, like, okay, I tried, I legit failed. I couldn't do it. What do I do to do it better next time? As opposed to like, I start the business and I'm making a little money and I'm working, you know, making $3 an hour because I work so hard, but like, I'm not going out of business. It's not, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. It uh, Again, introducing artificial risk or trying mm -hmm. new things, because here's the thing again. And, and, Maybe what I'm hearing is it's easy to settle for mediocrity or it because we all love to be comfortable, right? So we're all happy with the nine to five or whatever we're making. So I, I took a few notes. One of the stupid, simple little things I did was 
couple of years ago on a Saturday morning, I didn't have an idea for a show. And I'm like, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to do some show. And I can't remember the exact topic, but it was like my top five post-apocalyptic movies from the 90s or something, right? I was scared to do that because it was so out of, out of like, out of brand for me, you know, but it was something I was passionate about. And so I did it and people loved it because I tried something new, but I was scared. It could have been absolutely miserable. I could have got a thousand comments from people who said, Tim, I don't really appreciate your content for that. You know, whatever, right. It could have happened. Sure. But taking these chances on this stuff is when I find the best. And I've, I talked to Brian Alexovich about this a lot too. Whenever he messages me and he's like, I really want to try this on the show, or I really want to pivot to this. And I'm the same way. It comes down to do it, try it because you always get the best success when you try something a little bit different or a little bit weird and it hits, you know, it might not always hit. I, there's lots of things I've done. I went back through my channel here the other day and I used to do a thing, uh, toolbox Tuesday, which was kind of a, you know, an excuse to do another a review or I did money making Monday. I, you know, there's so many things I tried that I'm not still doing because I didn't get the return from them, but I tried them and some of them really, really worked, And some of them didn't the rebrand on the podcast, something simple at episode 300 to workshop radio. Again, I was kind of nervous. I was like, well, I don't really want to do this, but every time you try, you're either going to get positive results or negative results. And when they're negative, don't try it again. When they're positive, you do more. That's the difference between failure. It's okay. This idea didn't work. So let's try something different. That awesome. worked. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Helpful. Cool. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where things have changed, but that's where my approach in life has changed. And, and I, I thank Becky a lot for it, but, you know, but it's good when you meet the right person, all of that. Right. But my approach has changed in as much that, you know, the first job we did when I first started all seasons maintenance, it really was an all or nothing thing. You know, I was going to do this and we were going to make it work and we were going to figure it out. And if it failed miserably, well, I can always go back to working for, you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. If it fails, you know, you're probably not going to lose your house. You're probably not going to die. You might need to go back, put your tail between your legs for a while, take a nine to five for a little bit, regroup and keep going. But, and that, that was the concept when I started putting these notes together tonight that I'm probably going to turn into uh, the, the, pr the presentation was here's the thing. Look at it this way. Say you set a goal of a thousand new customers and after 12 months, you've only got 700. Well, are you going to tuck tail and quit because you only got 700 new customers? Well, no, you're not. You know, some people look at goals as binary. It's either all or nothing, but in business or in life, no, nah, you're always making progress. And if you've hit 700 and you've hit a wall, well, it's time to try something totally different to see, hey, you know, maybe we'll bring in some wacky waving arm inflatable men to, to stand out by the, you know, whatever, right? Just something. But every time you've taken a step and you jump out and you try something new, well, if it works, man, you're succeeding. And if it doesn't, well, that's one more option I know that's not going to work. So let's try something else. Cool. Thanks. I think you kind of covered all the things that I had. Uh uh on that list i guess the one other thing i had on there if you have anything to add of like do you think there are any um like 
if you had to make like kind of a top five list of crazy things to try, like move from your hometown, go live with a camper, uh, just call your boss and tell him you're quitting and find a new job. Like um, anything like that. Is there anything like that that you think is kind of like, hey, this is going to kick your butt enough that you'll do. You'll be totally different if you just try this. I, I would say the two things that I've done um, both twice in my life is quit a job with zero notice. Now I'm not telling people to do that, but for whatever reason, that's what I've done. I've, I walked away from a seven year job with zero notice. I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I did it. So, you know, that is something that is scary as shit, especially if you don't have um, a safety net on the other end, but that's fine. And another for sure. And I know this was in your notes and this may not be the case for everyone, but moving away from what you know is the an incredible way to get outside perspective because all of a sudden you get to see how everybody else lives. Now, here's the thing. We were lucky. We moved to Alberta, which in my mind is a place that has a lot of potential for entrepreneurs and has a very hardworking entrepreneurial mindset. But, you know, we could have went somewhere else that wasn't that way and we could have seen, oh, yeah, that wasn't for us. So we're going to head back. But I, I would yeah, I would say moving. I would say quitting a job on zero notice, you know, none of those are, those aren't great things to do necessarily, but sometimes it's that shake or that desperation for me on the smaller end of things, take those big things out. Anytime that I'm doing something that makes me a little bit anxious, I know I'm growing or I know I'm doing the right thing. Even if it's, even if it doesn't feel right, you know, like whether it's a new presentation or it's it's speaking to a larger group of people or it's trying something totally new. If I'm a bit anxious, that means I'm doing the right thing because if I'm comfortable, I'm probably, it's time to try something different. Makes sense. So how's that? That, 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 yeah, cover I think that kind of got through all the things that came into my mind to pick in your brain on that sort of change topic. So how about you? Where are you heading? What what do you think you want to, how serious are you guys about this maybe gallivanting around the countryside thing? Well, I'm kind of torn. I kind of came up with this idea in the summer and it seemed like a really great idea. And uh, we really like, we've not ever, I don't feel like we're nearly as settled here as I would like for having lived here basically my entire life, except for when we went off to college. Um, just not a lot of connections, not a lot of people that share interests. Um, you know, a ton of topics that I'm interested in that I literally don't know anybody within 50 miles of me that like even knows the lingo. Right. Um, and, and since then we've, uh, like we've connected with a different church that we've really been, um, nice. making good friends with and got, I got involved with a, um, real estate meetup group. That's been pretty interesting and meeting some new friends there and stuff. So I've been kind of, and then like, you know, we have a homestead, we've put a fair amount of effort into that. We raise uh, sheep and cattle and have, um, um, done chickens and ducks and stuff. And so, you know, the prepper side of me is kind of like, what, why would I sell all this land and all my animals? And, um, I'm sure I need to, uh, get on with, uh, Brian and talk to him. Cause I'm sure he can like walk me through exactly all of that mindset. But my question um, is, why wouldn't you, I right. get it. We did, we did the same thing. I mean, we almost gave up on prepping entirely 10 years ago. Not saying you should. I'm just saying we did. And we're in a much better place for it now, you know? But, yeah. So let me ask, I want to rephrase it then. What 
give me two or three things that if money or fear of failure were absolutely not even in the picture, didn't matter, what would you try tomorrow? If What would you love to do that would be absolutely, what's Nicole call them? Big, hairy, audacious goals, you know? What is something or a couple of things that you would absolutely love to do tomorrow if you could tell the boss, you know, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. Yeah. See, and that's that's a hard thing for me is I'm not a super goal oriented person. Like, it's really hard for me to answer that question. And so and I've thought about that. And like, I've read books and done exercises stuff on goal setting. And I really struggle. Like, I think. I would say I like doing in-person events like and that's you know i've met you through yeah. doing events and um a lot of uh, like i go jackson and cold and stuff i like to help with them um i'm working on figuring out how can i uh uh i don't know what the word i want but how can i make that sort of thing happen more and and be sure. a little more active in that rather than just showing up and running the kitchen for people um in other so words how can you make more money at it what are you are you beating around the bush to say you'd like to figure out a way to make more money at it as well? Well, I mean, if assuming that I don't win the lottery tomorrow, yes, that would be a necessary component. Excellent. Um, Good. But uh, yeah, I mean, and even like I'm not even totally opposed to like I think I think there's a lot of things that uh, uh, are not necessarily the best thing to do as businesses. And I, so I've, I've also, yes. I have pretty much come to the conclusion that I should buy a business. Like I've been reading, I read a really interesting book called uh, buy then build, um, which you'd probably mm. find pretty interesting. And he, it was just written a few years ago and he was talking about how we have this, at least in the U S this huge glut of small businesses owned by baby boomers and how you can basically just like walk in and buy a business for an astonishingly low amount of money compared to, the amount of money that it generates and uh like basically if you can be a competent operator of a business it's so much quicker to just go buy somebody's business as they're retiring out of than to you know hammer your head against the wall building that exact same business from scratch uh, largely because you can borrow all the money i mean it is a lot of what it comes down to like there's all this infrastructure in place to help people buy businesses in the u.s that isn't there um in the same way for, for building one. So that's kind of like one of the other things of what I'm, I, I think I, I think I just need to go buy a business um, or figure out how to buy a business. Cause I'm, I don't have the, it's a, this astonishingly small amount of money is still a not insignificant amount of money. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there's part of me too, that thinks that like maybe the better route for me is to go buy some sort of, um, you know, a car wash business or uh, yeah. uh, HVAC business or whatever. And I'll make my money off of that and free up my time. And then I can do, uh, you know, I can do events or something and I don't want to lose money at it, but like, you gotta be like, I, I think I would have to be like top of the line, you know, top five or 10% of people running events in the country to make, a really significant income that I could live off of comfortably. And I'd be running a ton of events, which would like, that's very energy intensive. Um, and I could probably be like right at the 40th or 50th percentile of HVAC company operators and make the same kind of money and work 15, 20 hours a week and then do events every couple months as a totally fun thing. Um, and not have to, 
I don't, know, I don't know if that's the wrong way to think of it. It's like, I don't want to be the best or, in the world at this. Or you could run 10 events a year and make a quarter of your yearly income doing that. And then start another one or two little side hustles on the side. Not saying, right. you know, I'm just, I'm always looking at it from that other, you know, I mean, instead of thinking, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I mean, even for me, like, instead of, you know, would I love to have a million subscribers? I don't know, maybe, but you know what? I got 11,400 subscribers and I'm making enough now that our family could live off it if they had to, you know, it, so I don't know if you have to shoot big. I think you could shoot smaller and do the 80, 20 thing, you know, start, start working toward it and, you know, run 10 or 12 events, you know, talk to, I, I think of, um, Oh my God. Uh, Adam from uh, modern frontier. He's over on TikTok. Mm-hmm. He's been on the show quite a bit, but he's, um, uh, he, you know, uh, he's into grass fed beef. So one of his things is he puts together local dinner theaters or local suppers where he serves the meat. People still pay to come to it, but he serves the meat. And guess what? Almost every time somebody comes, they're like, man, that's the best damn beef I've ever had. You know, so just thinking out loud, like you, you don't necessarily have to just run those events in the prepper sphere. You know, you could run them in homesteading. You could run them in the entrepreneurial. You could run them for the, you know, the free and free open source software. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's a thousand places you could go with it. And then as you build it, pick the ones you love doing and get rid of the ones you don't. Yeah. And you asked me a question and we didn't touch on this and I know we're going on an hour and a half, but I want to touch on just a little bit. Cause I want, I want you, I'm not going to tell you, I want you to do something, but I'd love for you to set some goals this year, <laughs> really hard goals. I don't know, whatever. But you asked me in one of the other questions we didn't talk about is how do I set aside time for, for goal setting or for dreaming or for, you know, uh, end result type thing. And Yes and no. I do a lot of it while I drive. But what I do is, and I, my my process every year since 2016, I think, I keep a notepad on my phone all the time. And especially in the last two months of the year, anytime I think of something, I'm like, man, you know, uh, I want to go skydiving. So I write that down. I'm not going to go skydiving. But it, for if at the moment it hits me as something I've never done before and I want to do it, it goes in that folder constant for the next, you know, for the last two months of the year, anything I think of. And then the last month or last three weeks of the year, I look through all of that and I think, what are my priorities? You know, and for me right now, my priorities are content creation, the daycare, property management, and the land in Tennessee. So those are my four priorities that I filter all my goals through. If they don't fit them, they're probably not going in there. And then I think, what could I, you know, what could I comfortably do in a year? And then I double it. And then I probably won't hit it, but I try, you know? So, and I don't spend a ton of time, like I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, Steve Jobs or something where I'd go and meditate on my goals or something. No, I just, it's always in the back of my head beating around. But if I don't write them down, I lose them. So I put everything in there, no matter how insane or crazy it might be, you know, like, you know, being a professional mime or something like, I, you know, I'm not going to do it, but if it hits me at that moment, like one year it was get my pilot's license. Why? I don't know. So I can bug out with a plane, but it went in my paperwork. It never made it to my goals, but it went in there. Right. So I just write everything down. And then toward the end of the year, I organize them based on my priorities, what I want to do. And then I, 
I always go back to them month in, month out. And I'm like, okay, how am I doing? And what can I do? And then, you know, it's a little harder, of course, for you with young kids, but figuring out how much time you can devote to those things. I don't know. I hope. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I bring that up to say, I'd love to hear your goals, uh, you know, next year or later on in the early in the year, just to, just to try it. You know, it's like, you know, it's like me, a fat guy trying to do the the coach to 5k, you know, that it's three days a week for nine weeks. And uh, today was day one of week two, right? So it's the little baby steps, always baby steps. That's good. Thanks for the encouragement. I'm, I should do that this year and start the new year with some solid, like purposeful directions to work this. in. I will do this. I will do this. Yes. There you go. That's all. You're, you can, you can text you. me on January 1st and ask me what my goals are. And they don't have to be crazy. You know, the first, my very first year, I was maybe 10 goals. And one of them was to learn how to rollerblade and learn how to ice skate. Cause I'd never done it. And I did it, you know, had absolutely nothing to do with prepping whatsoever or anything. It's just something I wanted to do. And I always put are a couple you, of those personal Are you allowed to on. not know how to ice skate living in Canada? I thought that's how you guys traveled. Like, Well, that's actually how I got my citizenship. I uh, yeah. I was I was just a landed immigrant, even though I was born here. So, Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Just... <laughs> and then you had to get on a bobsled. and I did, that. yes. Okay, it was okay. with three of my Jamaican brethren. It was really good. So we had a good time. <laughs> Any Anybody, you know, anybody under the age of 30 is not going to get that joke. And it's okay. So I got that joke. I'm glad that makes me happy. So, yeah. And I, yeah. And you can do absolutely great. Uh, you, anyway, you will do great things this year, Andy. And I love it. And you're, man, I, I love talking to you. Every time we talk, I get inspired to do things. So I want to, yeah. So I will, I will text you January 1st and I'm going to find out, you know, I don't care how many one or two or three, whatever it is, but I find having those goals are like, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's that horror movie. It follows. I, I'm sure you've never seen it, but it it's like an allegory. It's going to sound awful, but I'm going somewhere. So hang with me. It's an allegory for an STD. But the idea is that once you get this spirit following you, it follows you everywhere. So if I'm downtown, I'm going to look over here, kind of like Jason, he's always following, right? So it doesn't matter where you go, what you do, you've always got this weird ghosty thing off in the distance. It seemed like a great idea. Anyway, but it's the goals. That's what the goals are. They're always following you from the corner, right? They're always, it's always that thing kicking in the ass saying, you know, and it's always the filter that you filter all of your actions for the year through. It's like putting glasses on, right? You know, like depending on what you're doing, it just allows you to see and it always helps. It's that one little thing in the back of your brain that is telling you, this is the thing I need to do, or this isn't the thing I need to do because it lines up with my goals. So yeah, there it is. That was, see, you got me up on my damn soapbox. You got me talking about entrepreneurship and goals. And now, oh, I need a drink. No, I'm just kidding. That's good. <laughs> I need somebody to yell at me every now and then. So yeah, it's Yeah, but it's, it's in love. You know, it's absolutely in love. And I'm not a dick. You know, somebody last night at the, the daycare um, Christmas party asked me, or I forget what it was, but I said, I'm never an asshole till somebody unless they deserve it, you know, and I try not to be, but it's, yeah. I love people. And when people get in my circle, all I want to do is see them succeed because when you succeed and Brian succeeds and Kyle succeeds and everyone else and Nate and Aaron and all those, they, uh, everybody gets better, right? Because our circle gets better. So the people they bring up with them get better and 
we go higher too. So absolutely. So January 1st, I'm going to text you and I'm going to find out what your goals are. How's that sound? Sounds great. And we got one more question from the audience right quick. Andy, uh, Dave wants to know what brand of piano that is back there. Uh, that is a completely imaginary piano. I was wondering, if, I, I was, anyway, I just, I loved it. When I, when Andy come on, I'm like, man, that is a beautiful grand piano, Andy. And I knew, but Andy's really good at uh, cybersecurity and uh, not even that, but just, you know, blending things out and things. And I, I like that. That's a really cool digital background. That's a really nice way for you to mention, Tim, that uh, my office is a complete disaster and I don't want anybody to see it. Hey, dude, you should see my workshop right now. It is a mess. I am, I'm renovating. I got no space to put anything. So I just shove all the shit in one corner. Then I build and then it goes over. So I literally had to build new workbenches so that I had space to get the stuff up off the floor. Anyway, so it's, it's yep. good. So, Been there. So if people want to follow up with you, Mr. Andy, how do they do it? Uh, probably the easiest way for this group is uh, pop on Telegram and just tag. I'm in your uh, uh I don't remember what your group name on Telegram is, but I'm in Telegram, that group. The workshop, yeah, 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 the workshop on there. Um, so you can just tag me. That's my Andy Hagenbotham, my name. Um, that's probably the easiest way for y'all to get in touch with me. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not very active on the internet, but uh, I'll talk to people there. And uh, at in-person events too. South that's Carolina. true. Yeah, or, yeah. Are you going Somewhere. to LSTN this year? Uh, probably. That's my answer officially for right now too. So, right. But I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I try not to plan quite that far ahead because I seem to schedule things in advance uh, or schedule things and then schedule more things on top of them. So, but yeah, I'm good hopefully. with that too. So thank you, brother. I appreciate you very much. This was a lot of fun. This was a, an all over the place kind of cool episode that uh, sometimes it's nice to just sit down. I tell people a lot. I almost think that I just created this podcast to to have chats with my friends and to interview interesting people because a lot of times I, I wouldn't make the time or I don't make the time to talk to people unless we sit down and record it. So yep. thanks for, uh, you know, coming on and doing it with me again, brother. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I always enjoy it. Anytime. And we'll have you back next year too. So if you want to hang Good. in the back for just a second, I'll close up. All right, guys. I, I never know what to say. I mean, Andy is, Andy brings his A game every time. What a, this was a fun episode. This was a, a bit of a reverse, uh, kind of a reverse interview. Also, oh, oh, Jewel said we didn't answer her question. What was her? Hang on, hang on, Andy. I'm going to bring you back on right quick. Jules is going to shoot me if I don't answer her question. It was, and I did start it too. I'm not sure if I know, but I'm going to ask you too. She said she had to go back to the start from the beginning. Everybody who's listening to this recording is like. What did Tim just do? But anyway, she said, getting paperwork in order. I had a passport at one time that was stolen. How do I get that replaced? Uh, I'm assuming a U.S. passport. Yes. Yep. She's she's definitely okay. an American. So uh, do you have like five minutes for me to tell kind of a funny yes. story? Yeah. I, okay. uh, I apologize for not getting to this. But anyway. Yeah, oh, no, no, that's ahead. all right. So I actually sort of just went through this. Um, so for some reason i got my passport in this is a long story jules but i promise i'll get to what i know about this uh um for some reason when i got my passport as a teenager i had it under andy instead of my legal name which is andrew um i don't know why that was it was a long time ago but that's what it was so uh i'm doing paperwork internationally and the other government doesn't like that my birth certificate says andrew and my and all my other stuff says andrew and my passport says andy uh so the 
the lawyer that we're working with is like, hey, they don't like this. I'm like, so what do I do? He's like, well, you change documents till they match. I was like, all right, well, it's easier to change the passport than in my birth certificate. So that's what I'll do. So I mailed off. I had a passport. I had a valid passport that I just got a few years ago. I mailed it to uh, the State Department. I went to the, the post office where they do acceptance. And I asked, how do I get this change? They said, no big deal. You just, uh, you, uh, uh, oh, renew. That's the word I want. You just renew your passport and you say, you put that you want it in the legal name instead of the other. So I fill out all the renewal paperwork. I pay the money. I mail it off. I pay the extra money to get expedited because U.S. passports were super backlogged this summer. Um, so it's supposed to be like seven to nine weeks because I paid extra. Um, and I wait and I wait and I wait and uh, I get I get nothing. And so it's been nine weeks. It's been 10 weeks. It's been, you know, there I'm like, I, what do I do here? Like, there's no helpline that I know of to call. <laughs> and so one of my friends tells me, you're supposed to be able to contact your uh, your representative for your state and they can help you with that which i did and this my state rep or so this is my my u.s federal house of representatives representative super helpful like it wasn't her it was her staff member right but this lady that helped me out was like super on the ball uh probably the most helpful government employee i've ever worked with um she gets me an answer from the passport people like the next day and they say oh yeah we sent you a letter like a month and a half ago saying uh this big form letter and we need you to respond to it. Well, I never got that form letter. Um, but basically long story short, they said, you, you're just going to have to like apply for a new passport, fill out the other form because we can't <laughs> do this. And you need to show evidence of your name having been changed, like a court order or evidence that you've used this name for at least five years. I'm like, well, I mean, is my birth certificate not good enough evidence that I've used my name for at least five years? Um, and so this was actually a good example where having multiple birth certificates saved my bacon because I had sent them one initially. And so now I have to send in uh, the different form, the, the application form instead of the renewal form. Um, and I need a birth certificate for that. And I went back to the post office and the lady's like, well, what are you going to do? They got your birth certificate. And I'm like, oh, no, I have another one. So I send all that in and I wait. And then like. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from somebody at the State Department, or not State Department, for the passport application facility. And he's like, um, yeah, we got your application here, and you uh, have had a passport previously, and you marked that it was included, because I think we had that at one point, right? But we sent it back to you, so do you have your passport? And I'm like, no, I do not. I sent it to you, and I've heard nothing, or I've received nothing in the mail from you guys since, like, now, like, I don't know, four months ago that I sent all this in. So he's like, let me look around and I'll uh, I'll call you back tomorrow. So he calls me back the next day. He says, yeah, we don't have it. So you're going to have to fill out a form saying that you've lost your passport. Um, and so that is the answer to the question, Jules. Um, you, uh, you have to fill out a form saying you lost it. So I fill that out and I send it in and I forgot to sign the form. So then they send me another form letter saying, you didn't sign your form. You have to sign your form and send it back. So I go round and round and round. I finally did get my passport back, um, but it took months and months and months. Um, and the State Department lost my passport. So my current passport now has a little like line on it that says this is a replacement for a lost passport, which I'm a little salty about because I didn't lose it. But whatever. Not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Um, but uh, yeah, you can. Uh, oh, oh, so then the, the funniest part, my my son, who just turned a year old, um, his passport 
because uh, we got it internationally, was a uh, what they call an emergency mm-hmm. passport, which only valid for a year. So then I had to go renew it. So I went in after all this and like I, I had the baby with me and I get in line at the post office and the passport lady comes out and she just looks at me and she's like, you're not my next appointment, are you? And I said, no, well, I am. I said, but it's for the baby. And she's like, oh, good. I was afraid that something. And she's super nice. She's like, I was afraid that something else happened with your passport. So uh, anyway, his was super complicated because he was born in another country and renewing a like it was a really complicated thing. And it ended up we decided all I actually needed was a uh, uh, photo. So she just like took the photo for free. And was like, I'm not even charging you like you've been through enough. Like, just just take your picture and go away. <laughs> like really nicely, but just like go home and, you know, be happy. So I'm now like a frequent flyer at the local passport office, thanks to all that. But um, yeah, so the the basic of it for the US, uh, there's a form which is on the State Department's website. It's actually pretty easy to navigate that you fill out and you just basically sign an affidavit that you've lost. It's been lost or stolen. Um, and then they uh, they cancel it in their system so that it can't be used. Uh, and you might have filled that out. You're supposed to... Uh, uh, you're supposed to uh, fill those out when you lose your passport. So you might have done that already, or if not, I don't think you'll get in trouble if you didn't. But um, fill that out, and then you, I'm pretty sure you'll have to fill out an application for a new passport. But it's if you just go into your post office or local passport acceptance facility, um, they should be able to tell you all the things to do. Um, and then uh, you just fill out the forms and write the checks and mail it off and it should all come back. Not a not a big deal. Ed Celio said the staff at your elected representatives are your best friends when dealing with the government bureaucracy. That yeah, we might not experience. love the government around here, but there are things that they, you know, you have to play the game when you want to jump through the hoops. And if you have somebody who says, you know, that can help you with that, all the better for it. So, and she said, my passport was stolen eight years ago and they said the original was canceled. But when I thought about getting another one, there was some odd number form to fill out. Yeah, that's... Yep. Uh, Becky is the absolute master at jumping through governmental hoops and she has more patience than Job and she will just, she'll just call. And so a couple of tips I can say is look over the paperwork before you send it in multiple times and be persistent, you know, call every single week because people get tired of hearing from you. And that's how we've, I'm telling you, Becky's been successful on a lot of these things simply by being persistent. Because yeah. if you give up on contacting them, they'll give up on you sometimes. Yeah. And another good tip for Americans or U.S. Americans, if you're uh, filling out any of the State Department forms, um, if you go to uh, statedepartment.gov, I think it's the website, whatever the U.S. State Department website is, they have an online form filler. And so it fills in like you just type into it mm. and it fills it out which I always find writing in those like weird boxy Scantron style forms, super, like it's super hard for me to write legibly. And if you make a mistake, you have to throw the whole thing away and start over. Um, so it is total like they have pretty well-functioning fillable PDFs and uh, totally recommend doing it that way and just printing them out. Government definitely loves their PDFs, don't they? Yep. Well, Despite a false finish, folks, where we, we came back to give you an extra bonus 15 minutes of content. So thanks, Andy, for coming back. I'm glad you shared that story because when you shared it with me earlier or um, when we were in Tennessee, I, it cracked me up because it's it's a perfect example of bureaucracy at its best and its worst all at once, right? Yep. So anyway, folks, we appreciate you. Thanks for dropping by. 
And as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.